Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and this week I'm coming to you from Bangkok, Thailand, where I'm at the Dynamite Circle Mastermind Meetup. And the Dynamite Circle is a private mastermind where I'm in, uh, where we have about 300 to maybe 400 internet entrepreneurs. Uh, We just talk about business, ideas, uh, kind of incorporation. We bounce ideas off each other, and we give each other's tips on our businesses. And so being here all weekend, energy's great. It reminds me of a saying I learned in China class as a kid uh, it was it goes like red ink stains one red black ink stains one black and it's a very simple obvious concept uh, about the environment you immerse yourself in because it has huge implications on your mindset uh, on your motivation and everything you do in life within that environment and so it got me thinking because you know as an entrepreneur it's very critical that you surround yourself with like-minded people and, and especially to escape the negativity it comes with people saying hey you're crazy you know what are you doing you should just play things safe you know you might fail have you thought about this have you thought about that and really the stuff that just drags you down and it's really this support group that kind of keeps you your head level and so uh, the energy you get from being around 70 to 80 people like this that you've you know maybe met online had skype conversations with and you finally see them in person is just incredible feeling and you feed ideas off each other and what you realize is that hey you know what i'm doing is really possible when you see someone that's maybe two or three years down the line and when you're meeting them and actually talking about things that they're doing you get a sense that hey you know can't fail now now that i've kind of met them and you'd almost kind of let them down and would feel terrible if you did fail. And so uh, if you're struggling out there by um, and you're frustrated that there's no one to bounce ideas off of, uh, you know, running your e-commerce store, uh, people telling you you're crazy or starting an online store where we you might fail, uh, go ahead, shoot me an email. I'd uh, love to get in touch. Uh, terry at buildmyonlinestore.com. And also uh, leave a iTunes review for the show. Okay, and also check out the website to vote on a topic for some live online training sessions that we'll be have at buildmyonlinestore.tv. Uh, you can choose between topics such as choosing a market to get into, uh, manufacturing, we talk about SEO, uh, online marketing, and much more. So I'm, the direction I'm going to take it is based off the audience feedback. So uh, it's only one question, takes five seconds to complete. And with that being said, let's get into today's show. All right, cool. So uh, thanks for taking the time to do the call. So I found you when I was talking to uh, Daniel over at the Smart Baker. I guess you guys were all on season three together. Uh, yep, yep. I didn't meet him there, but we have like a, a sort of a Facebook group where there's a lot of uh, Shark Tank people in it. Yeah. And so I did one with him probably like I think two weeks ago. I listened to it. Yeah. And I was just browsing through the season. I was like, oh, I saw yours. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a cool story, too. So <laughs> that's how I reached out to you. All right. Well, thanks for contacting me. Yeah. All right. So uh, so I understand on the show, you know, you kind of came from internet marketing background before, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So came out of grad school in like 99, sort of the height of the internet sort of boom. And I jumped into a company that was uh, was called antmini.com. It was a portal for the medical imaging industry coming straight out of grad school. And it was a very small company and it was a startup. 
we were building that portal from scratch. So they kind of threw me into the internet and they just marketing side of it and just said, okay, you figure this out. And we largely built that company, you know, on pay-per-click and internet marketing. You know, we had a really good editorial staff, you know, a technical team at that time. You had to, you know, build everything yourself. So that's how I learned it, you know, about five years and that we went from, you know, startup to, you know, dominant industry leader uh, within that niche, going up against companies like GE Medical Systems, you know, like a radiology.com, the existing, uh, you know, journals in that industry. And we really, you know, sort of dominated all of them. So I really learned the value of internet marketing, you know, to go into to industries and really sort of take them over. And so what was pay-per-click like back in the early 2000s? It was, uh, it was actually the first company was GoTo, literally like a cent a click. You could, <laughs> you know, buy prior to that, before that was even sort of available, you were buying banners on you know, AOL tar- targeted to keywords and like a good keyword would cost a thousand dollars a month and you'd get a banner. So it wasn't on a pay-per-click model. It was more like, you know, a banner advertising model. So we were spending, you know, $30,000 a month to build this, uh, you know, this company. We had a lot of, a good chunk of money behind us. But then, you know, one day I found pay-per-click and I just went to my boss and I said, look at this, I can change our budget from $30,000 a month to $1,000 a month and we're going to get 10 times more traffic. So we just started eating the lunch of all of our competitors. I mean, they weren't even doing the internet advertising at all. So really where it started out, I, I started investing in go-to stock and I made like 600% there and I just said, this thing's going to take off. <laughs> and then Overture came around and then, you know, AdWords was probably two, three years away at that point. No, that's that's funny. Pay-per-click was one cent. Oh my God, that's so crazy. I was I literally had a side project that was like selling your rail passes and it made nothing. I mean, it did like, you know, two or $300 a month. And, you know, I was buying pay-per-click for that. Now imagine do trying to do that with pay-per-click today. It was just like a hobby. Interesting. And so how did you make the move from that world into paddleboards? Well, that, that business sort of became a mature business probably after five years and they were sort of managing it more. It was it was purchased by Eastman Kodak and they started managing it more for like cash flow or something, which was just crazy to me. So I sort of disagreed with that path they were going down and it was less exciting for me. You know, as a, as a business guy, I wanted these high growth companies. So I ended up jumping off into my own business and I started a uh, online business selling poker chips, high-end poker chips. I did that while I was still at that company. I sort of did it as a side project. And, you know, pretty soon I was making, you know, more at that company than I was making um, at my job, quite a bit more. You know, I'm going to jump and do this full time. Within six months, I was making more in a month than I was making in a year at the other company. I mean, it was sort of a, a boom and a bust industry, so it didn't sustain that. It boomed and bust, and I learned a lot from that as well, which is really relevant to the paddleboarding industry. And so when it came down, it was still a decent business. You know, it did half a million a year and really required very little amount of my time, you know, 10 or 12 hours a week. So I was always looking for other little businesses to do. Started a number of them, you know, like I did a toy company with a buddy, and that really didn't go. And then I was doing a green energy company like a portal in the green energy industry. I guess the year was probably about 2010. And then that's when a buddy took me paddleboarding. And I was I was trying to bootstrap that business. It was a bigger opportunity. It was a lot more risky of an opportunity. And when I saw the paddleboarding thing, I was just like, this is very close to the poker chip business that I did. It's a product-based business where we can develop sort of a really good value proposition, do it direct to market. And it was a boom and a bust or a boom industry. I don't know if there's going to be a bust on the other end. I was like, this is the business I know how to run. This is a no-brainer. So... I, I dropped the uh, the green energy thing and, and went for this. Yeah, it's funny because poker, I remember when I was in college, I think 2000 to 2005, it was huge. It was like World Poker Tour and all this stuff. And every, it was like the craze. Exactly. I mean, it took off. Like the word, you know, poker chips was, uh, I think it was getting more search volume than like MP3 player. Oh, interesting. All right. And so, so what's paddleboarding like? Because I've seen a video, like how is it different 
from surfing? Because it seems like you just kind of paddle on the water, right? Like, what's special about it? Yeah, I mean, it sort of derived out of surfing. I guess in Hawaii, you know, some of the surfers just were getting up on big, you know, big surfboards, longboards, and with a paddle. And they'd been doing this since the 60s. Sort of, uh, I think even ancient Polynesian times, they, they had done that. They had surfed like that. And then they got rid of the paddle. People just started surfing regular, and that's what everybody was doing. And a few people picked it up, I think, in the early you know, 2000s. And then they started to realize, well, I can do this in small waves. I can do it in the off-season and just sort of paddle around and use it as exercise. So that's where it derived from. Now, even today, if you, if you look at the paddleboarding industry, a lot of the paddleboarding companies themselves and people that don't know about paddleboarding think, oh, this is sort of an extension of surfing, when really it's, it's much more than that. And if you look at it a little differently, you see a massive market here. You know, surfing is probably less than 5% of the paddleboarding market, paddle surfing, stand-up paddle surfing on waves. It's less than 5%. It's also like a replacement for, you know, kayaks and canoes and, and river rafting. It's got this, this exploration element to it, and that's a big chunk of the market. So it's a sort of a replacement and an improvement on a surfboard, I think. There's a lot of debate about that. It's a replacement for, you know, kayaking market, which is a, which is a much bigger market than the surf market. In the U.S., you know, you've probably got, you know, 2.5 million surfers. And you've got about 20 million canoes, kayakers, and, you know, whitewater rafting type people, those type of sports. And it seems a lot more, it's less intense, right, versus kayaking or surfing. I guess the learning curve is a lot lower, too. It, it is. It's a lot easier in both of those respects, like getting into a kayak and then having to worry about flipping over. is kind of a scary proposition that not a lot of people will do. Not a lot of people will go in the surf zone. And then, you know, a lot of people, even with injuries, they move from surfing to paddleboarding because it just is easier. I think it really is an evolution of that sport. And I mean, that will play itself out. And then there's this third element of it. So you've got the surfing, you've got the sort of the discovery or sort of the adventure part of it, which is like, you know, kayaking and uh, canoeing. And then you've got the exercise part. And that's sort of the wild card there that a lot of people are just buying this for exercise because it's this incredible full body core workout. Just standing on the board, you know, balancing with your legs constantly fires all the muscles in your legs and sort of your butt. So that's like a workout just with you aiming out, out even thinking about it. And then you start paddling, it works your upper body and your core. I mean, people that are doing this are just like getting in shape on accident. And you like explore in like a bay, go out to the water. It's almost like Zen-like too, right? Once you paddle out somewhere calm. It is. That's what, uh, that's what people sort of realize the first time they do it. They'll see somebody out there in the water doing it and they'll be like, oh, that looks kind of goofy or kind of boring. But then you go out there. It's just like, you know, tooling around on a beach cruiser basically. As I, you know, I live in San Diego and that's everybody gets around down here is on beach cruisers. So you go out there, all of a sudden a lot of people have not been on the water. So you can get to a lot of places that you don't, haven't seen before and it's serene. There's nobody around you. You know, you're just sort of cruising around unless you're doing an exercise thing where you'll go out and you're really sort of, you know, pumping for speed. It's a sport that as people are, are getting into it, they sort of get hooked on it. And I think we're still very early on the curve on this. Yeah. And so how fast can you go on these boards? You know, not that fast. They make racing boards. There's a whole racing element that's uh, that's growing out of it. And a lot of little, you know, community competitive races um, sort of growing. And so those boards go a little faster. But I don't know. It's like a, a brisk walk, I guess. Very cool, very cool. All right. So let's go into a little bit of your product lines first. So what are kind of the main product lines you have? Our, our business, and the way I always look at um, sort of, I'm not really a, like an SEO guy. I've kind of, I have that expertise, but I sort of try to look at the businesses more holistically. You know, I've got a business background, an MBA, and I'm sort of a more serious business guy that happens to have this sort of SEO trick that I can apply to businesses, right? So a lot of people will look at a business and then they'll bring in an SEO guy and then try to boost the business in the internet marketing. I take a different approach to that. I say, okay, I have this SEO expertise. 
how can I apply a business to that? And then so you go out there and you, you determine demand for a certain product like paddleboarding. You can see there's expressed demand by how many searches are going. You develop a product to meet that demand. It's really SEO that gets pushed all the way back into the product development funnel. So with paddleboarding, what we did is we determined there was, a, there was a great market for sort of beginner boards. They're expensive as anything. I mean, literally $1,000 to $2,000 was the price point on these paddle boards when we were starting in the market two years ago. And we said, that's just ridiculous. I mean, I can't believe it. it's just like a piece of foam and, you know, fiberglass. Why are these things so expensive? We looked at it and the distribution channel was, you know, the, the problem here. You know, a $1,700 board that you would go to REI, uh, you know, sports to get, a thousand of that cost is in the distribution channel. It's like a broken model. And that's how all of these boards were sold. So we said, hey, we're going to skip that market, which is probably, you know, 95% of the market, you know, people walking into a store. So that's the lion's share of it. But we don't have a competitive advantage here, especially when I started. It was just, you know, me and no money. I said, we're going to do a direct to market like I did with my poker chip thing. And we'll, you know, cut that price in half and then create the best value proposition on the market. And then word will get out. I mean, you know, you know, you're in this industry. If you do create the best value proposition out there, it makes marketing really easy. People will do it for you. The viral part of it starts kicking in. That's what we did. So we, our main products are paddle boards. We have uh, two SKUs, paddle board for people under 220 pounds, and you got one for people over 220 pounds. Gotcha. And did, when you were doing research in the beginning, did you find the surfer community wasn't really good at SEO or they... Yeah, I mean, there's a, that's that's most industries, to be, to be honest, are not really SEO... There's very few industries that if I go and look at it that I think, eh, you know, I don't know if I can compete there from an SEO standpoint. But yeah, there's certain like, I don't know if you want to call them backwoods industries, but these really sort of laid back, really old school industries. In the surf industry, it's not even really a business like centric industry. It's everybody's just sort of laid back. Yeah, we'll get to that. We can. I mean, it, it's a nightmare to deal with uh, like vendors in this industry. Because it's like you'll order something and if they don't have it in stock, they'll just after 30 months, they'll just cancel your POs because they don't want to deal with the inventory of it. You're like, like, this is insane. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's a nightmare in certain segments. Like there's many areas of the surf industry you could come in and fix. So Yeah, uh, it's funny. I had a guest that sold condoms online and they're like, yeah, the condom business, these guys just like... They just sell back. They're like, they'd order something like, oh, we forgot to ship it. Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of industries like that. So, I mean, that, that is one of the, the good parts is that people are coming in, you know, with this sort of new media knowledge. And then they're also fixing sort of the business side of yeah. it. Yeah. All right. And so when you were researching, you're doing that, the SEO research, like what, did, what metric did you look at before you decided to get into paddleboards? I mean, it's a very broad stroke. You know, I don't get too technical into things. Basically, is there a good amount of search volume? Is there a broad enough array of search terms you can go after? You know, what are the volumes out there? What is the competition? And then, okay, that's what today is. Now, if I create, you know, a bigger, better mousetrap from the product front, can I get that, you know, in front of people? Most industries, you can do that. And then it's just it's just a matter of sort of cherry picking. What are the, what are the really big opportunities? Yeah, unless you're doing like, like, dog products right <laughs> which is absolutely so, yeah then there's a lot of competition you know, <laughs> yeah. certain ones are, are really overplayed and then the other thing i learned from the poker chip business was that that was a niche like high-end poker chips like there's only so many people in the world that are willing to spend you know 500 to 1500 dollars on a set of poker chips you know so that business was we were sort of the top of the industry you know worldwide and we're only doing you know half a million a year and i have a number of i sort of network with a lot of buddies and entrepreneurs um, they have similar type businesses and, you know, we trade, you know, stories to sort of keep on, on the cutting edge of stuff. And I see a lot of these businesses going to five to $10 million. And I'm like, okay, you've got to pick a much smarter niche. 
next time you do this. <laughs> there's there's advantages to going niche, but if you go too niche, you're cutting, you know, the high end. Yeah, because I guess high-end poker chips, really, like, the ones that are heavy clay were, like, you know, guys that wanted to just feel like ballers playing at home, really, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a different world. And there's, there are people out there that will just, they'll pay whatever. But yeah, exactly. Not a huge one. All right, so, so you said you went direct with all these uh, paddle boards. Did you manu- find your own manufacturers, or were you drop shipping at first? No, we do. We, well, we, we did sell some other brands just to sort of test the market initially. And then we still sell some high-end brands. We're sort of right now, we're just making sort of a you know beginner board. That's the, that's the meat of the market. And then there's racing boards and there's really surf-centric boards. Initially, we did, we did sell some, uh, some other brands, test the market. Everything looked good. And then we developed our own product. The, the idea was always to develop our own product. I see. And when you were testing out, at first, were you using like pay-per-click or just kind of organic SEO? Or? No, I mean, because I, because of what I told you earlier, you know, like I started the pay-per-click back in the, you know, the go-to days where it was a cent a click, like it turns my stomach to pay more than a quarter a click, right? I mean, I, I just can't wrap my head around yeah. it. <laughs> so it's been a long time since I've built a business like that. You know, I know how to do it. Um, you know, I could pick up a book and really brush up and be very good at it. But the idea of paying a dollar, two dollars a click is insanely expensive to me. And then, with the paddleboard market, it's such a boom. We can't keep up with demand right now. You know, in, it's a seasonal business. So in June of this year, we had we had four products. We had a small board, big board, and then we have two inflatable boards. And we were out of three of the four products at June. Um, <laughs> so it's just like even with Cuban's investment, we don't have enough money to buy inventory to sell it. So we're throttling back. We're not advertising anywhere. We're just doing sort of the free SEO, and you know, we're limiting our markets. Um, because we're tr- just trying to keep up with growth. We know we can turn on pay-per-click at any, any time and basically boost our business 50%. But right now, all of our competitors are building their business based off pay-per-click, which is really godly, ungodly expensive right now. So we know we have a massive cost advantage on them by doing this too. So at some point, it's almost like maybe just don't do pay-per-click and you offer an even better value proposition to these customers You know, as long as you can keep your product in front of everybody. Yeah, and I remember on the Shark Tank, you said you had, I think, three of the top four results that were your, going to your site. Yeah, this was in um, this was in 2010, or mm-hmm. no, when did I pitch that? Uh, 2011. It was last summer when that we actually you know filmed the pitching of that. It aired this in March of 2012. But yeah, at that time, for certain terms, you know, we were you know three out of the top four. And <laughs> on that show, these guys were you know uh, you you watch the segment. Yeah, I watched it and people ripped on you. I was like, uh, and I heard three out of the top ten rings. I was like, holy shit, that's crazy. The uh, so so the funny <laughs> thing is, I was you know I said, well, they're like, well, how do you sell these paddleboards? What's your you know cost of acquiring a customer? I'm like, well, I don't pay, spend anything on acquiring customers. Seriously, we I can't even advertise right now because I can't keep stuff in stock. <laughs> and these guys are like, oh god, this guy's an idiot. And then I said, you know, basically my special sauce here is I'm sort of an SEO expert. And they just all rolled their eyes, right? Except Cuban. Cuban got it from the from the get go. And they all rolled their eyes and they're like, well, oh yeah, we have we have search engine guys, you know, we do this. And I'm like, no, no, you don't you don't really understand. There's search engine guys. You can pick up a book and anybody can become a search engine guy in, you know, three months, probably shorter than that, and and know how to do it tech from a technical uh, perspective. But there is this creative element to it. And then if you you basically like apply a business education to SEO. It becomes massively more powerful. It's like taking an engineer and then sending them to business school. Those are the engineers that become the CTOs and that run these tech companies. So then I was like, okay, you guys all have SEO companies, but I'm getting three out of the four top listed. I can't afford to do pay-per-click. 
because I, we don't need to. Yeah, and even if your comp- competition was doing pay-per-click, they would be at a cost of dis- disadvantage too. If they're so. using a different distribution channel, then there's another. So, <laughs> and it's a sustainable competitive advantage. That's the thing about you know pay-per-click is you're just buying stuff you know right away. I don't even like to use it when I start up a business because it makes you lazy on the other front. Um, but if you do SEO, you're building basically a barrier to entry over time because there's a time element to this. There's sort of a link propagation element to this. You're building sustainable competitive advantage. So on the on the show, it was edited down. You know, you've talked to some other people on Shark Tank that you go in there and you. I was probably pitching in there for you know 40 minutes to an hour. Yeah. They cut that down to 10 minutes. So they cut a lot of this out. So you really don't see the arc that went from you know Barbara telling me she's <laughs> she's not going to make it. Damon, you know, saying I'm a magician. I'm leaving my own tick. One minute later, Cuban and Mr. Wonderful are in a bidding war. And everybody that watches is like, I don't get it. This guy just got lucky or something. Yeah. Maybe the uh, sharks were drinking that night or something. So <laughs> It's funny because most businesses pray for like one rank on the top 10, right? But you had like three, which is just absolutely incredible. Well, that's that's certain search terms. You know, if you, as you go down the niche of, of search terms, sort of the long tail search terms, that's very possible to do. It gets much more challenging for your top terms. Uh, you know, the drive more traffic. But yeah, it's definitely possible. Yeah. And another thing is too, like pay-per-click, the money you invest, like a dollar you invest there, it's gone as soon as someone clicks it, right? But SEO, it's there like the next year, then the year after, once you invest in it too. So oh, Yeah. And uh, pay-per-click, is, it's amazing. I mean, people are building big, big businesses using pay-per-click, but there's companies out there spending, you know, a half a million dollars a month on pay-per-click. And sure, you can generate, you know, a million and a half in sales, you know, at some point, it's like maybe TV advertising is cheaper than pay-per-click, but people can see the numbers and they're just like, you just, you maximize profit by doing that. But, you know, there is another world out there where you can say, hey, I can do that without even spending that money. All right, so let's go into Shark Tank a little bit. So why did you go on the show? Uh, What was kind of, what was your point of, what was your business at at that point? Um, We were, I just hired my, uh, you know, first employee and we were just getting our, our, our own in-house boards uh, shipped. Probably they're about three weeks from getting in. They maybe even left. Uh, we make our boards in China uh, currently. So they'd even left China. And uh, I just hired my first employee literally a week later. I got a call you know, or an email from the producers of Shark Tank saying, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're with this you know, show. We're looking to get a stand-up paddleboard company on this. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your paddleboard company? And so they called me just sort of out of the blue. I'd never even heard of the show. So I, you know, I did a quick search and, you know, watched like an episode and then I fired back an email and I said, yes, you need to, here's why we're perfect for this out of the, you know, paddleboard company. Obviously you guys know paddleboarding is hot. That's why you're calling me, you know, within the paddleboarding market, there's a hundred companies and here's why we're different. You know, 99 do it this way. We do it the other way. I'm not just, you know, another sort of surfer that started a, you know, a surf shaping company and, you know, got into this industry. This is, we're taking sort of a high tech sort of business perspective on the surf industry this will make good tv so we pitched them on that and they're like all right put together a video we need it in five days and you know so we had to scramble that together fill out this paperwork and you know we need this in two days and everything was like that and then i already planned a vacation it was in the middle of summer that this happened and it was literally like they called me you know maybe the middle of june or late june and i was pitching the sharks in late july so with a two-week vacation in the middle of that. It was an insanely fast process. And I literally was worried, like pitching the sharks, remembering all of their names. That was one of my big concerns because I have a horrible memory. And you'll see on my 
my segment, I forgot my pitch, but my like slideshow screwed up. That threw me off. And then I was stammering around the stage for five minutes. It was much worse in person than they even taped. So what were your expectations going in the show? Were you just like, okay, we'll just test it out and see where it goes? Or do you actually really, you know, were you actually looking to get funding there? Well, I, I kind of knew there was a big opportunity in, in a paddleboarding market. And we were already going to capitalize on that at, at a certain rate. But I knew, you know, more money would always help. But it wasn't like I was going out and trying to raise money at that point. But when they, they called, I said, wow, obviously huge exposure here. There's six million people are watching this show. But before I even started you know, filling out the applications, I'm like, okay, you guys, look, like if, if I do this, you know, all your applications, make your video, do all this, what are my odds of actually getting on? And they're like, basically, if you don't have three heads and you know, everything you told us about your business already is correct, you're probably getting on there. When, once you get on... It has to be entertaining or it's not going to air. So it was sort of a calculated risk. I said, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time on this. This is at the peak of our you know, business. I'm running three businesses. We just sort of went for it. And the expectations were to go in there and, hey, if somebody makes this great offer, I'll take the money. You know, I'm not going to make a, a stupid, I'm not going to take a stupid offer and just sort of give away half of this business because I know it's a, it's a very valuable business. In my pitch video that you do to them, You've got to do your ask. I need X dollars for X percent of my company, or this is what I'm offering. In my pitch video, I said, I want $5 million for 60% of my company. Because <laughs> 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 I've never seen the show, right? I was like, hey, you're pitching a VC. This is exactly how I would pitch this company. I have you know, projected out to have an $11 million company three years from now. And uh, the producers just came back and they're like, yeah, nobody in the history of Shark Tank has ever asked what you asked for. And I'm like, well, you guys didn't tell me anything. So what do you want me to do? So then I watched the show a little more and then went up there to LA. And like literally when I went to LA, I was still thinking, I'm going to ask for 300000 for 10% of this business. And then they, uh, the Shark Tank producers sort of explained the rules to me of the show. Is basically the sharks have to, you have to get the money you're asking for. The percentage can change, can go up and down, but you have to get at least the money you're asking for. Uh, so I dropped it down to 150 and figured I'd be able to negotiate them up. Before we, before we jump into that, you said you value the business at 11 million in three years. Kind of, what were your assumptions to kind of get to that? Um, it was it was just sort of basic, you know, business plan pro- projections of you know revenue projections of in the first year. You know, we've got to 1.5 million, and we've been constrained in a lot of areas. I didn't realize it was going to take as much capital to buy inventory. So not going to be on that growth pace I anticipated, even with Cuban on board. But if we had, you know, a million dollar line of credit, it would be easy to get there. All right. So uh, you said, so you're on the show and you were talking about your, um, I guess you said the equity percentage could change? Yeah. So when you, when you ask for, like I asked for 150000 for 10%. My plan was to ask for 300000 for 10%. But if I, if I go on the show and I ask for 300000 for 10%, I have to get at least 300000 from a shark or the sharks are prohibited from doing the deal. They can't say, I don't like, your, I don't like that number. I'll give you 150000 for 10%. They can't do that, right? So that's why they always go up in the percentage. You'll see, I'll take 50% of your company or 70% of your company. You way overvalued it for the $300,000. So you'll see a lot of these people go on the show and they'll ask for a million dollars or half a million dollars. They're really just shooting themselves in the foot. If the sharks are interested, they can always up the dollar amount on their own. I see. Or if they don't like the the valuation, they can use the equity to yeah, change. They can change the valuation. Huh, interesting. All right. And, and so um, on, on the show, how, what, what happened with Mr. Wonderful in Cuban? Since we only see like five minutes, right? Like kind of what, what's some stuff we missed on the show? Well, the um, thing that happened is I sort of explained the SEO and I think they kind of bought in. Okay, this guy is, you know, a top SEO guy worldwide. You know, he knows what he's doing. And then I said, and then Mr. Wonderful was just like, 
all right, well, you know, I'll bankroll you. And he gave me a ridiculous offer. He's like, I'll give you, I want 50% of your company for 150000 I own 50% of any money you make in the future on anything. And I'm just like, what? That's crazy. I'm not- and your business, your business was making $1.5 million already? No, no, no. No. The business is only down 100000 in revenue. Oh, okay. It's okay. Out of business. But he was like, anything else you do, and we'll go sell you know, shoes, and we'll go sell pet food or, or whatever. And I'm just like, well, you know, first off, I'm not going to sell you half of me for $150,000. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? I'm making that now in one year. Why would I? That's just dumb. So I, he always does those crazy offers. I just think he thinks that oh, maybe this guy's an idiot. Maybe he'll bite. And then I said, well, and it doesn't really work that way. You just can't layer this stuff on top of like any product. You've got to go after specific stuff. And it's a lot of time. Like if you want to go after the paddleboard market, you've got to roll up your sleeves for, you know, two or three years of concerted effort. I'm like, you guys have hundreds of millions or billions of dollars or access to that. It's stupid to do what I do if we have your money. I said, really, you know, Mr. Wonderful, you're the, he made like that toy company that he sold or it was a book, book company or something. He basically started a little company and they just started acquiring everybody in the industry. So he was like a merger and acquisition guy and really good at it. And that's how he made all his, com- his money. So I said, you know, Mr. Wonderful, you're the merger and acquisition guy. What we need to do is I've got this special sort of sauce we can inject in any business. We got your war chest. You know, let's go out and buy a $10 million company, inject what I know, and then flip this, you know, three years later for $40 million. I'm like, that's how we make money. And then that sort of raised his eyebrows and Cuban's eyebrows. And I think they, they sort of both saw, well, yeah, because a lot of them have other businesses that they own, especially Cuban. I mean, he's got like a, a herd of businesses. Wow, you know, we can apply this guy's expertise to our other businesses and get benefits in that way. And, and then at that point, it was almost like, I'm like, this paddleboard business, it's a fun business. It's, uh, you know, I wanted to be a surf company CEO. This was the perfect business. I can make money in it. But there's massive other opportunities out there. So that's where they, they started to get interested. I see. Yeah. And, and I guess Mr. Wonderful on the show kind of seems like the guy that's just like a financial investor guy who's after returns. And I don't know if he'd be a good strategic partner either. Is that kind of the feeling you got too? Or? Yeah. I mean, just watching a few episodes of the show, you can see that he would not be the, the best uh, you know partner to be. He's just going to put money in. He's not going to be an asset to you outside of that. And he's not a celebrity where Cuban is a celebrity. So yeah. Cuban's money, I really valued it three times the value of anybody else's money on that show. Mr. Wonderful, he doesn't do any deals. If you go back and look at the history of the show, like in season three, I think he did like one deal or two deals. He never does deals. <laughs> I mean, he's there for like entertainment value. Like he talks a lot of smack and, you know, he makes... Yeah, makes- I, he's a smart guy. He's a really smart guy. And I think he's sort of a realist. So he'll tell people like if, if they're an idiot, he'll tell people they're an idiot. He won't sort of candy coat it, which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. But as far as business partner and investor, I don't... Put a huge value and on. so obviously you teamed with cuban and how has he kind of helped the business grow since the deal um he's, he's helped a lot i mean when we were negotiating the deal so you do it on air and then after that there's due diligence and then you actually negotiate the deal and we ended up negotiating the exact same deal um, he sort of wanted me to commit to helping some of his other companies with seo stuff in sort of consultative fashion and i agreed to that and i negotiated to be able to put his face on you know my website so this is why I valued his money at more was basically he brings this almost like a celebrity endorsement to your product. And I knew for my brand, because it was an unknown brand in an industry where there's a lot of known brands, a good chunk of people know Mark Cuban. He's not a massive celebrity, but he's a pretty significant celebrity. You know, he's got a million Twitter followers. So just by putting his face on our website, saying he's associated with it is going to increase our conversion rate. I knew that that was worth more than 150000 So that was without him even doing anything, just signing a contract. 
that was him adding adding value to the business. He takes thirty percent, but he adds a good chunk of value. Outside of that, he's been very you know helpful. He's it's direct communication to him by email. It's very helpful just to bounce something off. You know, being an entrepreneur, you don't have anybody over your head, so you you sort of rely on your other entrepreneur buddies and you bounce stuff off like off them. But it's very valuable to have somebody like Cuban, you know, who's wicked smart and has this massive like successful business experience to be able, hey, what should I do on this? And he will, you know, chime in on that stuff. So, you know, I report to him, you know, once a week and he'll chime in on stuff, some stuff, you know, I don't necessarily want to hear, but, you know, I still have 70% of the company. So ultimately I do what I want to do, but his input is very valuable. And I, you know, I kind of want to make him a good amount of money and make him happy. So there's potential to do other businesses. He's also lent us money uh, beyond initial investment. We had a big sorter come through that we just couldn't finance. The bank still won't give us a credit card. You know, we're going to do a million and a half in revenues this year and the banks won't give us a loan for a, you know, a $5,000 used truck. It's insane right now. So we, we had a $200,000, $215,000 purchase order from a company called Woot.com, which is owned by Amazon. They're going to pay you, basically. We took this into the bank. You know, we couldn't get funding from them to go purchase this inventory. We ended up having to go through Cuban to get that financed. So he's helped in that, in that regard as well. And so as kind of like a mentor, what, is there an example of where he's giving you very good advice? Can you share an example? Um, just when, you know, employees are a new thing to me because I've always done sort of an independent thing. So he's, so he's helped in that regard on how to motivate employees and how to, you know, structure compensation and stuff like that. We were going to do early on, one of the first conversations, you know, I had with him was we were going to do uh, one of these, not a daily deal site, but like a Groupon. I had already signed a contact track with them to do like these group rental lessons or whatever. And we weren't going to make much money on it, but we thought we could build business. And he was just, don't be an idiot. Don't do this. <laughs> like, these are bottom feeders that are going to be, you know, buying this. They're not going to be buying your boards. They're trying, they're looking for a deal. He's like, it's going to be a nightmare. You've got very few staff. You don't want to. So he'll steer me, you know, off of certain things. And like a, a lot of, and there's, there's been a couple instances of that. Some of them I, I wouldn't want to share with you because it's sort of competitive secrets, but directions I've thought about taking the business. And he says, here's why that's crazy. And from my experience, this is what will happen. As an entrepreneur, you just you just don't know until you do that. Yeah, I guess that's right, because the guys that are really in the Groupon, they're just there for the deal. And for them to buy like a, like a what, $600 paddleboard after that it's kind of like you should use groupon for advertising and i think that's what a lot of companies do and i think that's why groupon you know had sort of what peaked and then sort of has has fallen a bit uh, but for certain companies it works but you know i don't for ours it wouldn't very cool yeah is this persona different on air versus off air because I, I think i see on air he kind of has this like know, persona he puts on on the show but i don't know if it is it different like when you're mentoring it with him or well yeah i think his, his public persona not so much on shark tank i think he's sort of changing his public persona by being on this show people are sort of seeing really this is a pretty smart guy he sort of knows what he's doing uh, he actually is sort of a fan of entrepreneurs i think his public persona maybe this is even dated you know five or ten years ago when he was with you know the dallas this crazy owner of the dallas mavericks you know that's getting by reps you know and he doesn't have a pr person he's a straight shooter he doesn't all from it's just him there's no, you know, layer of polish in front of him. That public persona was like, wow, this guy's a wild card. Do you want him as a, as a partner? But then when you research him further and you watch some interviews that he does on the more serious business side, you'll realize that he's an ultra sharp guy. You know, he's got great business instincts. He's just sort of unfiltered. You know, I, I feel I'm kind of that same, same way. I looked at that and I, I think people are starting to see that, that uh, are watching his Shark Tank show. Yeah, and he's, he's very like... 
Because you know it's him on his Twitter account too. He posts all this stuff, and you know it's him. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so looking back, uh, you know, if you weren't on the Shark Tank, where do you think the business would be right now? Would it still be where it is, or kind of what are your thoughts? I mean, the the business would be probably half of what it is right now. So we probably would have done seven or eight hundred thousand this year, and then next year we would have been able to jump to you know where we're at this year. So it probably you know propelled us a year ahead from where we're at today. But there are other things that come into play, like just because, you know, Cuban's on board and because we have had that early success, that other things are coming our way. So it, it can kind of snowball. So, so it's not just like he jumped us a year ahead. He might have jumped us from the potential of being a 5 or $10 million company to being a $50 million company. I mean, that's, that's a very realistic possibility that, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. And so is organic, is your business growing organically through Google now or is it like kind of, how does it grow now? Yeah, it's, well, we're, we're starting to get into a little social media, but from, you know, all the entrepreneurs I know, it, like nobody has really figured out social media very well, unless you're a major brand or you're a celebrity. Those are, it's easy. It just happens already. You're just tapping into what was already there. So we're toying around with, uh, with the social media element of it. So we're growing a little bit there. Uh, we're toying around with the product development side of it. I think there's still a lot to be done in the, in the paddleboard world to improve the, the products, uh, the manufacturing of the products, you know, and the distribution of the products. Improve that value proposition, which will further propel our business. But yeah, most of our marketing, free traffic we got coming in is still coming through just you know, organic search, stuff like that. We're doing like brand ambassador programs, which I think could be a big thing for us. Very cool. And since the market, the whole paddleboard market is growing too, it's re- you guys can really ride the wave to grow with it too, right? So. Exactly. So you'll note the two businesses that I've done was the, the poker chip business and the paddleboard business. And this is something that, that I've found is that you know, both of those businesses are things that I'm interested in. So I'll only do, you know, if you have the, the ability to do different businesses, you might as well pick ones that are interesting to you. And that actually sort of you feel you can add something to the world, improve people's lives. If I can talk, you know, 10,000 people can get into paddleboarding. I mean, I improve 10,000 people's lives. That's the way I look. I mean, there's just no downside to this. You know, you're out there, you're getting a tan, you're getting fit, you're having fun, you're spending more time with your friends, you're getting a new hobby that, you know, doesn't really pollute the earth. It's all good from that perspective. But yeah, they're both booming industries. And in these booming industries, you've got the industry growing in the paddleboard market. It's literally growing 50 to 100% a year. You know, when the tide's coming in, sort of all boats sort of float up. So you definitely want to be in those industries just because it's easier to do a startup in that type of industry. But then when you apply SEO to a business like that, you get a lot of media attention. Like even with the poker chip company, I had the poker chips on TV. Because you're in a hot industry, people are seeking you out. You're SEO'd, you're at the top of the, the search engines. So people that don't know the industry just assume you are the top company in the industry. It's a, it's a great PR strategy. And really, you know, good SEO today is, you know, PR. Booming industries help that. So it's easier to grow something from scratch in a booming industry. Very cool. And so who is the typical customer that buys paddleboard? Is it mostly like first timers or people that are really gung-ho about it? Um, you know, we, we get a mix of both, you know, because it, uh, paddleboard is a consumable to a certain degree. So you go out there and you use your paddleboard for you know three years or something like that. It gets pretty dinged up, and then you want to go out and get a new one, or you want to get a newer shape. And you know, so we sort of changed the shape of paddleboards. We went shorter and wider and thicker, so it's a much lighter board that has the same flotation and easier to store. So a lot of people that initially went out and got big twelve-foot planks are now getting their second paddleboard, and they're coming to us. And then we get because of the search engine presence, you know, we're getting a lot of the the new people that are shopping around for their first paddleboard. You know, our business is 95% individuals. Another market we really haven't pushed into tremendously yet is sort of these little rental and tour operators. 
something like selling the hotels and something like that. We do plan to go into that, but it's, it's a matter of we got to have inventory to sell these people. <laughs> you have no boards to rent. Forced to grow organically. But it's a good problem to have too, right? Where It is, but at some point business is a race. If the market is growing 50 to 100% a year and you're not taking your share, somebody else is. So it's a, it's a competitive race. So if you're, that's why if you're capital constrained, it's a problem. Um, it's not just that you're growing organically. It's that everybody else is eating your lunch and it's always hard to come back after. It's easier to uh, take that market share that becomes available. Yeah, initially. exactly. Right, very cool. And so do you find the, because I know the surfer community is very like, kind of like they have their own crowd. Is the paddleboarding crowd similar to that too? Or? There's, a, there's a funny riff between the surfers and paddleboarders. I mean, paddleboarders don't really have a riff against surfers. But surfers have this real territory thing. I mean, that's surfers within surfers to other surfers. Like if you go to, you know, Hawaii and surf in certain, you know, surf breaks and you're not a local, you know, you're going to hear about it and you don't in- invade somebody else's territory and stuff like that. And you get a little of that in, you know, California here. I went to do a photo shoot. My, my university was doing an article on me and we went to do a photo shoot at one of the you know, popular beaches here called Wind and Sea Beach in San Diego. And it's a surfer spot and it's like a hardcore surfer spot. We weren't even getting in the water. We were just, they had this shack and we were putting the paddle boards up there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had this like this photographer, you know, doing this. And it was early in the morning. We went out there like eight o'clock in the morning. So there weren't a ton of people around. But I had several surfers like come up and sort of aggro surfers come up, walk through the photo shoot and say, you know, your kind's not wanted here. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was, you know, an African-American in the South, you know, in the 60s. It was crazy. A couple of them. And then when we went to leave and I, I said, look, guys, relax. We're not even getting in the water. We're not doing anything. We're taking, you know, a picture here. And it's like, this is not your beach. I'm just like, this is a public beach. This isn't. We went to leave and some surfer had written on, we have this big surf truck. Um, it's like a UPS truck, but it's painted all these funny surf colors. Somebody had written in surf wax split on the back of my truck. It's really hard to get surf wax off. But I was like, holy cow, these people are just angry. And it's the exact same thing because I was, I was a skier, you know, in high school. And then I got into snowboarding very early. So I was snowboarding in the late eighties. I think it was like 87, 88 when I started snowboarding, you know, there was five snowboarders on the mountain when everybody else was a skier. It was the, it's the exact same way that snowboarders were treated. Everybody sort of hated you. But the funny thing is now surfers are thought of as a pretty progressive crowd, but it's like, they're the skiers now and the paddleboarders are the, the snowboarders. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, it's funny because I used to skateboard and it was like the skateboard versus rollerblader type thing too. So Rollerblades <laughs> disappeared now. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty funny. So, you know, since the communities are so different, like how did you find the paddleboard community or was there even one when you were starting out? I mean, there's it still isn't developed. I mean, this it's very early in this um, in this industry. So, you know, some of the discussion boards, like we tried to develop our first paddleboard in a discussion group. Um, you know, to sort of do sort of crowdsource product development, which I found very successful in the poker chip industry. There just wasn't enough involvement to even get the thing rolling. I mean, we got some some good ideas that we we used. You know, those communities are still developing, and this is something that we feel is is an opportunity. If those communities are not there yet, you have the ability to you know intertwine your brand within those communities and support the development of those communities. And this is what we're trying to do with our our brand ambassador program, we're, we're really going to push hard in that. Right, very cool. Right. And so I saw on your Facebook page, you guys have like a tower girls, like that's probably the coolest ambassador program ever, right? What's, what's the deal with that? Well, that's a separate thing from the ambassador program. This was sort of, this was sort of early on. We figured we're a surf company. We looked at the surf industry. You've got like companies like reef, that a lot of their advertising is branded around just, you know, pretty girls on the beach. Largely what we're selling as a Southern California company is the Southern, you know, California lifestyle. Like, you know, fit bodies, beautiful people living at the beach, laid back lifestyle. So that's how we thought we would 
sort of market it. And it's kind of a parlor trick too, because just with the web, if you put pretty girls on the web, you're just getting more attention. Like we, we've done um, videos of testimonials of our customers and we've got maybe 30 or 35 on the, uh, on our website. And we have one that has this, you know, very pretty girl. That one had half YouTube views of all our, you know, lifetime YouTube views. It's the exact same, you know, testimony, but it's, it's a pretty girl. You see a sort of a bikini. So we're like, okay, well, this is a no brainer. <laughs> we'll leverage these girls, but we really haven't implemented it. Well, we've had no budget to do it. We've just got sort of random girls to go out there and do it and kind of, you know, had fun with it, but it hasn't really been the effective marketing plan that we want. And it's not as clean as we would like. Uh, we're sort of rethinking that right now. You can't deny that it does get you some extra attention on the web and then with media as well. Like you saw on the Shark Tank, you know, we brought, you know, the pretty girl in, <laughs> which just happened to be my roommate. But you just apply that and the producers are like, you know, when we sent them in the initial five minute video, they're like, yeah, and it wouldn't hurt if you brought that, uh, that hot blonde on the show with you. <laughs> okay. That's funny, and, and I guess you know, with tower with paddleboards still growing, I mean, it kind of makes sense if you know, you gotta have this these girls promoting your product too in a growing market, right? Well, yeah, and it's a, it's a there's a huge fitness element to this. So you got the surf element, but you also got this fitness element. I, I don't think it fits perfectly with with our uh, sort of our, our business model right now. Like initially, we we didn't have a brand or whatever, but now we're becoming more sort of brand sensitive and what type of brand do we want to develop. So I'm not sure it entirely fits anymore. So we, we may actually, you know, rethink that. It's fun and everything, but uh, all if it, if it converts, it converts. But I mean, you know, whatever helps the business. Yeah. We're trying to trying to build a brand. I mean, ultimately, what we like to do here is we want to start out paddleboards, but we think there's a potential to build a huge clothing brand here. It's sort of a a surf brand on steroids. You've got you know the surfing element to it. So part of the brand is kind of like a quicksilver. Part of the brand is this adventure, like kind of like a North Face. And then part of the brand is sort of, uh, you know, exercise. So like an Under Armour, we think that, and then it's like the age limits of people that can do this. I mean, literally a five-year-old kid can get up on a stand-up board and do it by himself. We have, you know, 65, 75-year-old people doing this. I've seen 65-year-old guys in the waves doing this. So then you have almost like a Tommy Bahama type thing where you've got this really old crowd. So we really see this as a massive clothing brand. This is one thing that I didn't get into on Shark Tank. You build this authentic, basically surf brand in boards, and there's a real company there. And so everything's authentic. And then behind that, you layer on this sort of uh, this apparel company. And that's where it potentially could, uh, you know, is a good harvest strategy or is a good, um, you know, just, just way to take it from that, you know, small $10 million company to a $100 million company. Yeah. And you see like the picture on your side, you have like a mom and dad with their kids on the board, right? It's like, like anyone can do this. So. Yeah. It, I mean, that, that's kind of that. That picture is one of the girls that works for us, the, the marketing girl, the, the dark haired girl on that. And that's just literally, you know, her family. So, well, it's, it's her dad. And, um, you know, his wife and then a, a kid. But that sort of shows the whole element of it. And they're on our inflatable boards in the, in the boating market, which is a great, you know, market that really hasn't even been explored. And the paddleboard market is everybody putting one of these on their boat. Yeah. And when I hear you say, you know, Quicksilver, I think Tommy Bahama. And what else did you say? Like you're tying these together. It looks it's almost becoming like a whole lifestyle thing, too. Right. I mean, if you take a bigger picture, look at it. Yeah, I, th I think it is. It's still early, so but you got to see how people sort of define themselves. But there is sort of an element of we get give people a paddleboard and they feel better about themselves. They feel cooler. You just throw the paddleboard up on your car and drive around town, and you look cooler. Like I come from Seattle, where you know everybody drives around with a kayak, you know, or a mountain bike on their car, and it's like a uh, you know it's social credibility. 
that you're this, you know, outdoorsman, you know, on weekends, you're going into the rainforest and hiking up a mountain. Um, <laughs> that's kind of what the paddleboard does as well. I mean, it's largely BS, but these are, these are real things that real people do. So. All right. So for your marketing efforts, do you find uh, offline or online converts better now that you kind of have a feed in both worlds? I mean, we're all online. I mean, we have a, we have a shop here in San Diego. And this is a, a great local market. I and mean, we've got a massive, like, 4,000-acre water park here, you know, just bays that they've created. And then you've got the surf. So we've got a good local market, but still it's 5 or 10% of our market. And, you know, we're not a really super surf-centric company. So we're not really competing, you know, in that area uh, to a large degree. Everything is, is online, and it's a much more profitable business, you know, an online business as opposed to, you know, retail stores. That's a tough, tough business. They're going in and out of, you know, business all the time where you know, online business is a much easier business. And it's what I know. I mean, we, I wouldn't be a good retailer. And so let's talk about your online platform. I believe you're on Volusion, right? Is that still the case? Yeah, yeah, we use uh, Volusion. And you know, I've been very happy with them. And I've used them for, I use them for my poker chip store and a number of other stores. And um, you know, I recommend them to, to a lot of other people. Yeah, and they're, they're one of the old school hosted platforms, right? Like out on the market? Yeah, it's not like there's some there's some newer stuff that's come out that is uh, sort of the freeware stuff like Magento. What was not around when I first started these businesses. So I so that stuff may be a little more interesting to people that are starting now, but the the risk you always run there is, you know, you've got to have technical expertise. Little things go wrong all the time. And so with these hosted solutions like Delusion, that's the beauty of it for me, is I'm using their technical team. Like when we started that uh, company, AntMini.com, we had a technical team of like seven guys developing our website. And I mean, that's a massive expense. I mean, we probably spent five or $10 million to develop and you can roll out exactly what you want. But, you know, a small company, you cannot afford that. You know, that's just insane. So that's why it's like a lot easier to start a business today because there's all these off the shelf, you know, solutions for pretty much anything you want to do. So you can pay 150 bucks a month and get, you know, Amazon functionality in, a, in something illusion. There are trade-offs, you know, not, and not everything's going to be perfectly, but that's business. You know, you've got to got to find efficient ways to do stuff and small trade-offs. Don't get too hung up on those. Yeah, and especially where a back-end e-commerce system now is literally like less than 100 bucks a month, whereas 10 years ago, it would have been like tens of thousands. Right? It's just crazy. Yeah, and it, it's insane. And you're actually getting cutting-edge stuff because now you have, you know, they've got 10,000 or 100,000 stores that they're working for. You know they've got guys on sort of the front lines doing everything on the conversion front, so you don't have to worry about becoming an expert in conversion because they're already you know optimizing the shopping cart stuff. So, hey, so did you do a lot of the design yourself when you were starting out for, in terms of like like the theme of your store or kind of the? I'm, I'm not really a designer, and that's where our, our site's kind of weak. It's funny since Shark Tank, you know, I've had a lot of people call me and say, "Oh my God, your site sucks." You know, <laughs> I do. I do website design or I do uh, conversion stuff. Uh, you need help. You need a lot of help. <laughs> they tell me and they're trying to sell me their consulting services or whatever. But I'm like, you know, you, it's not flash. It's not fancy or whatever. But we get 40,000, you know, unique visitors per month for free in a, a relatively small industry because the site is designed like it is. I mean, there's there's stuff in there that I'm doing that a lot of people just don't understand why I'm doing it. And that free traffic, I mean, if you can build a business on that, it's, it's much more important than having you know, the fanciest site out there. If you look at 
you know, like Craigslist. Functionality is not dead on the web. It's really about the value you provide too, right? On a website, it's not always the design. Yeah, too, and that's so. that's really one thing that's important to you know anybody looking to get into SEO. What, you, what you're doing here is you're you're meeting demand, and some of that demand is for products, and some of that demand is for information. So it's really important you look at your business like a library. So it's a library that sells stuff. And that's how you can be, you know, successful in yeah, SEO. Very cool. All right. And so just kind of to wrap things up, kind of what are some challenges in your business right now as you're kind of growing to the next step? I mean, the, the biggest challenge is is financing. I mean, we, we did get a loan through Cuban, but he doesn't like to be, rightly so, doesn't like to be treated like a bank. I mean, he's an investor, so he's not going to loan money and get a 6% interest rate. That's not a business he's interested in. That's a business banks are interested in. The banks, like I told you, they won't give us uh, literally a car loan. We don't have a credit card, so we have to. All of our business purchases go on basically our main account ATM card. It's an insane way to run a business, and it's insane to me that these banks aren't like, I mean, there's $5,000 going into the business every day, and they won't give us $5,000 credit card. If they need to, if we default, it gets paid back in one day just automatically. Really? We're using their merchant accounts. And I just look at them, and yeah. <laughs> they're like, well, your business isn't too much old. When, when we were doing trying to finance that purchase order uh, for the Woot order, literally, Cuban said he would co-sign a loan. Oh, with the bank. <laughs> and the bank's... So I'm like, I've got Mark Cuban as a partner. He's willing to co-sign a loan, personally guarantee a loan. Can we get one now? And they're like, nah, you know, you guys aren't two you know, years old. And I'm just like, you guys don't really lend money, do you? And I think this is the honest truth. I don't think banks in today's world lend money. I think banks take everybody's money. You know, no, they're not hoarding it. They're investing in the stock market. It's just an easier business for them. And it's a higher risk business. And then if, it, you know, if their bet fails, somebody will bail them out or there's some, some coverage there for them. And they'll, they lend money based on, you know, people spending money. So if you want to buy a boat or a house or something like that, oh, sure, we'll give you money. But if you're actually trying to invest and, you know, make money like business loans, it's like they think, oh, that's insane. There's no way we would loan you money to actually go out and make money. <laughs> and to me, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. You wonder why, I mean, you're, you're in Taiwan, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I don't know where your guys' economy is at. But uh, it's probably, you know, booming, right? Because it's all tied in with, with, with China, where the, uh, the U.S. economy, I mean, is in shambles and everybody's throwing their arms up and they're like, what? How can we fix this? How can we fix this? And the solution is so easy. I mean, we have, you know, the best universities in the world. So we've got all the talent. We're, you know, the wealthiest country in the world. So we've got all the money in the world. But we're making no investments in small businesses, in startups. Like banks won't lend to businesses less than two years old. Well, you've got to plant some seeds at some point. And so it's, it's like this problem is so easy to solve, but nobody is doing it. You know, there should be government programs to invest in small businesses and just assume half of them are going to fail. But, you know, consider it a defense budget and just, you know, make 20,000 quarter million dollar loans per year to small businesses. And you have to give that, let entrepreneurs know that money is out there and they will come and they will produce. Even if like five thousand dollars, or like something like whatever the amount you said, and Cuban would co it, and they still wouldn't give it to you. That, that's crazy. Well, no, no, no. That was that was for a hundred and sixty-five thousand dollar loan. But still, you have you have a guy that owns the Dallas Mavericks TV stations who can co-sign this tiny loan for him, which is like nothing, right? Yeah, and this this is the bank that is claims they're the biggest lender to small businesses in the country. Oh, I, I think I have an idea which bank this is. <laughs> I've seen this phrase been thrown around before. <laughs> so that that tells you that no banks are lending money. I mean, that to me is insanity. I mean, you need access to capital or you cannot have 
um, you know, an economy. Basically, your economy is just going to slowly die off. Yeah, I mean, it's either that or you go to VCs, but VCs go for those tech software companies, right? They don't go for like, you know, bootstrapped e-commerce businesses too. So, yeah, there's, there's only certain types of businesses that are fundable by that. But uh, yeah, that's that's a pipe dream. I mean, there's, there's very few companies that are ever, you know, should even consider getting VC funding. And it's, All right, if you want to check out more about Tower Paddleboards, which I will be visiting myself too later in October, uh, check out the website at towerpaddleboards.com. And with that being said, thanks so much, Stefan, for being on the show. All right, sounds good, Terry. All right, man, take care. Thank you much. Bye. All right, bye. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.